Hi there and welcome to this bonus episode of the Ski Podcast. This is an interview with veteran ski journalist Arnie Wilson. Uh, now Arnie is a fascinating uh, man. He has skied in over 700 ski resorts uh, in more than 34 countries and is perhaps most famous uh, for the year 1994 where he skied every single day for a year. I really enjoyed talking to Arnie. We recorded this outside in May 2022. So in the background, you may hear a bit of a squeaky table, uh, maybe some school children, some people playing uh, table tennis. But I think that gives it a certain uh, verite. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. So sit back and listen to my chat with Arnie Wilson. I am delighted to be joined today by Arnie Wilson. I think many of our listeners will know who uh, Arnie is. I think we just clarified that he has skied in 739 different ski resorts around the world and he's probably most famous as being the first person to ski 365 consecutive days uh, when he was working for the Financial Times and there's a very good book called Ski the World which we've covered in the podcast before. Um, hi Arnie, how are you going? Very well, thank you. It seems strange. It sounds it sounds like I'm hearing about somebody else. Does that really mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean it is, and that's a really uh, a reason I really wanted to have you on the show, and I definitely want to ask you about you know the ski of the world because that's just an unbelievable experience to be able to do that and ski every single day for a year. But I wonder if I could just start off by asking you when when did you actually first ever ski? Where and when was that? I went on a school trip to Switzerland. The snow wasn't much good. I was obviously about, I don't know, 14, 15, and my parents were not very well off, and they managed to buy me ski clothing, and that was it. I wasn't able to afford to go skiing again until I was about 30. But that was right, that was your intro to it. Well, I guess that's how a lot of people uh, start, even now, uh, how they start uh, skiing, although maybe not as many people are going on school trips uh, uh, these days. And so you, didn't, you had a bit of a gap after that, but you started off your career before you became a ski journalist as more of a, a broader journalist, a more traditional journalist working in the, uh, in the industry. Is that right? Yeah, I, I worked in Fleet Street interviewing celebrities. Skiing didn't come into it really at all. Although later on, of course, when I was in the skiing industry, I, I did meet, you know, I, had, I had lunch with Clint Eastwood, skied with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, about those, but in those early celebrities, then who, who were you interviewing then? Oh gosh, 200 famous people. And in those days, I don't want to brag, but they really were famous. I had breakfast with Buzz Aldrin. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful guy. So many of them, I'd have to refer to a list. Lunch with David Bowie. Wow, a lot of people would be extremely (laughs) envious of you for that. These are writing profiles or features for different newspapers, was it? It could even be little scrappy bits. I mean, after the round the world trip, because I'd had lunch with Clint Eastwood en route, he very sweetly, as you can see on the front of the cover, yep. agreed to write the intro. Of course, it makes it much more interesting to people and, and more bona fide. And what was quite funny about that was, he, I said, Can we, could you send us your signature? And he popped his signature in a box, put the box in a larger box, put the, <laughs> put the larger box in a parcel. Uh-huh. And when it arrived, uh, it was it was triple wrapped, and that's the that's the signature in the book. And you met him, and uh, you know uh, Arnie, and I think you met Robert Redford as well during your uh, yes. uh, travels in, no, you know, that around was much that later, time. Much later. Oh, was it much yeah, later? Yeah. But um, you know, you were obviously writing all these profiles and meeting celebrities early on in your career. But when you got to the Financial Times, there's a certain point where you ended up becoming the ski uh, correspondent for the Financial yeah, Times. Yeah, that's what they called it. And and of course, the great thing about the world uh, ski tour was that a they endorsed it they didn't pay me to do it but they did pay me for my articles 
And the good thing was, of course, that because we were skiing in Chile and Argentina, Australia, New Zealand, uh, it never stopped, which is the whole idea. Yeah. And so my pieces were appearing every Saturday in ah. the weekend FT right the way through the summer. Right, perfect. Ne never happened before, may not ever happen again. Yeah, I mean, that was 1994. Uh, possibly that was the, I don't know if it was the, uh, the heyday of uh, ski journalism. Certainly when I uh, was doing ski seasons around that time, I remember Alistair Scott, he wrote for the Times and the Sunday Times, and it was much more important then. I think with the Sunday Times, I remember, because it's pre-internet, you know, everybody advertised in the travel section of the Sunday Times, you know, if you had a chalet or a ski holiday cell, because there was nowhere else to do it. Exactly. Yes, I ski with Alistair quite a bit. And what about the actual Ski the World, the Round the World Ski Expedition then? Did, did you pitch that to the Financial Times? Did you yes. say to them, oh, this will be a really good idea? Well, I'd only been writing for them for 10 years or so, roughly. That. Yeah. And I said, I want to do something different, even if you're not interested. I think what it was, I wrote a magazine article. Uh, then asked me the name of the magazine. It's quite a famous magazine. Could you ski somewhere every month of the year? Okay. Thought, yeah. So I made half of it up because I knew you could, but I never had. And then I thought, well, hang on a sec. I've just proved that you can ski every month of the year, so why not every day? And on that basis, I started to look at the possibilities. And I put that to the FT, and to my great joy, they said, yeah, do it. And we'll run a piece every Saturday. And every month they, they listed the sponsors. And there were a few sponsors that helped. I think um, Snow and Rock were one of the partners, is yes, that right? Yes, yes. Uh, they were quite early supporters of Mike Brown, got behind you. And, and, and De Graysset, were they uh, one of your partners? De, De Graysset, De Graysset, did they give oh, you... De, uh... Oh, De Graysset. <laughs> yes, they were. They, gave, they helped us with clothing. But the, the lovely story about Mike Brown, if I may tell you, yeah. is that... He said, yes, we will give you all your uh, clothing, skis, everything you need, and I will, if necessary, come out and join you somewhere in the world to replenish the stock. Brilliant. And then he had his terrible accident. Yeah. Mm. And, and I thought, well, that's the end. We're not going to get Snow and Rock sponsorship now. But he went ahead with it. And what's more, the fact that he said he would come out and replenish our skis and, and, and you know, our equipment meant that he joined us in Maribel, I mean, he chose where to join yeah. us. Uh, by that time, he was just learning how to sit-ski, and which, of course, he carried on and became a very good sit-skier. But the point was he made that by promising us to replenish our stock, even after he was very badly injured, it gave him the incentive to get better and travel again. So he, he very sweetly and generously said, thanks to you, I'm out here, and it was very nice of him. So Mike was a very important part of our, our trip. So you pitched it to the Financial Times. Your very, very kind editor said, yep, go for this, Arnie, you know, you can report for us for every week. And then presumably, you know, you got the partners on board, but you had to do presumably a lot of planning before you actually started, uh, you know, well, anything. There was a lot of planning going on. Um, and it was a calendar year, wasn't it? 1st yes. of January yes. to 31st of I December. I mean, I did it with Lucy Dicker, yep. who, uh, as you know. And Lucy was a great organiser. She ran a tour operation in London. She was selling holidays uh, to the French Alps. And so for some months before we went, she was doing most of the donkey yep. work. She was contacting. And occasionally we'd get someone coming back to us and say, well, look, rather than go to A, B, C, D, you'd yeah. be better off going to A, C, D, F. And so we had some great feedback. But she did a lot of work planning it, and, and the more we 
the more works we did, the more sponsorship we got. And so it became a fait accompli, if you like. Yeah, and I mean, I know we'll come to it. I guess you had to change your plans as you went along. But in the end, you went to 250 different ski uh, resorts or ski areas, you might call them. Uh, as far as I can see, I think I saw it go to you the equivalent of skiing Everest 425 oh, yeah, times. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, certainly a, a Guinness uh, world record. What I wondered when I was looking at the, uh, the schedule was... On those days when you had long flights, for example, you, you were flying from, I don't know, Europe to Japan or uh, the States, uh, Chile to New Zealand, how did you manage to get in time to go skiing on those skied, days? We always skied first thing in the morning before we left. Right, okay. And sometimes, not quite often actually, we skied during the night. We had the cooperation of the resorts. <laughs> they were right. only putting us up for a day or two. Yeah, yeah. We would like to have gone to a different resort every day, but that would have been a bridge too far. And also, we would have run out of ski resorts in the Southern Hemisphere. Yes. So we were content to do, you know, two resorts every three days, or that sort of thing. But if, if there was a, a problem of transport, we would maybe ski one mile, as long as we ski. And then to make up... Oh, the other thing I meant to mention was that the, the Financial Times said, well, you can't just go skiing for one run and then have lunch. And I think you should, I think you should do 10 miles a day. Yeah. We agreed on that. Which is reasonably, you know, it's it's not it's not to be sniffed at. So if we only skied one mile, as we occasionally did to get from continent yep. to continent, we were at some stage. I've got. A, I should have really have brought my. I had a huge diary. Every page refers to what happened that day, who we skied with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all in the book. <laughs> Listeners well, can have a look at that that's too. True, that's true. That's true. So we would not there and then. We'd have to make up the nine miles. Yeah. Just about did it. So by the time we got to the end. We had averaged just over 10 miles, not 11, but just over. T- so, you know, we kept going and that was how we coped. But, 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 so being planning like that. So on a day, for example, when you were about to fly from Chile to uh, New Zealand, you're up really early in the morning skiing somewhere else. And I think from my memory of the book, wasn't there one day where you kind of pulled over to the side of the road to find yes. like a patch of snow oh, yeah, yeah. just to get we some were, skiing in? We were skiing along the pavement in parts of Chile. It happened to, that we were in Chile when there was nowhere else to ski. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. I forget. It must have been when the resorts were closing. Yeah, I think August is, uh, I've got down here, July, August, you were yeah. in Chile. So we were, in order to produce one or two or three miles a day, yeah. we would ski down Martin Pass and we'd ski on the pavement because it's still snow. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's still skiing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you started off in, in the States, went up to Canada, and then in the summer, it, it, as far as I can see, looking at it, you, you tried the different glaciers of, uh, of Austria and Italy and Switzerland. And Correct. looking at the resorts, another thing that struck me was it seems like there were way more resorts open in summer than there are now. I, I saw Les Diablerets on that list. Cormier, you skied in Cormier in the summer? Does that mean you went up to the, the Vallée Blanche area and skied up there, perhaps? I think well, the thing is, a lot of resorts commercially close before the snow runs out yes but yeah if you really want to ski there yeah and you're prepared to walk up yeah you can still do it yeah so it's not as if oh it's um it's march the 30th the resort's closed now sorry that's it you can still ski there no of April. course you can of course you can yeah i mean uh, just 
just now a lot of resorts have skied. I was looking at the webcams in Val d'Isere, which closed last weekend. There is so much snow up at, uh, well, at the top there in Belvard. You know, you could uh, you could have a great time, and I'm sure there'll be people who'll be you know walking and ski touring, ski touring, exactly. etc. I've and never enjoying been there. I think there was a glacier. Yeah, Val they open again in Val d'Isere in uh, in June. But I found that interesting that you managed to you know ski in those places. But of course, that <laughs> explains it. <laughs> I noticed on the schedule as well, you kept going in and out of uh, Mammoth. Mammoth oh. was almost your kind of hub, wasn't it, for That's the trip? That's quite an important point. Mammoth was a terrifically useful place to ski in between the northern and southern hemisphere. We became friendly with the people in Mammoth. They would take us, for example, in Mammoth, uh, it, was, it was our link between, as I say, between the States, or no, between Europe yep. and the southern hemisphere. Uh, and so... I remember certainly that in Mammoth they allowed us up the mountain during the night. Because we had Brilliant. A, we had a flight the next morning from Los Angeles. Was that Billy? Yeah, Los Angeles. At about 9.30. And so the only way we could catch that would be to ski at 6 in the morning. Do one run, maybe. Yeah. And then we'd go to the airport. So yes, we had. But Mammoth did become very important to us as a, as a great sort of link between the two hemispheres. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, you know, you'd think you would... Assume when you're trying to ski in 365 days over 13 countries, things will go wrong. So uh, occasionally, you know, things obviously go wrong. I think in Argentina, your car broke down. I think that was yes, it was in Argentina, but we had the car was from Chile. All oh, right, okay. The car was a, a car we had borrowed from some friends. Very <laughs> nice of them. It's, it was the easiest way of doing it, I suppose. And we took the car across the border and it kept breaking down, and it would have cost us a fortune to get it repaired in Argentina. And so we drove it back to Chile for it to be fixed. And I remember we were towed across the Andes by four different breakdown trucks. <laughs> um, but we managed that. And you still managed to get your skiing in on those oh, days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somehow, I can't remember how now. Yeah, but exactly. If I looked at my diary, I would say, oh, yeah, that's what happened, or well, that's what happened, you know. But, hey, I can't remember what happened last week. I wouldn't worry about that. And you, you were in India as well? Did you get it from the army in India? Yes. India was a, stra- a lot of strange aspects of the trip. We were asked to go to India. The right. Indian government. Her, we, we <laughs> never, we were never, that's brilliant. <laughs> well, it, was, it could have been a disaster, because if, if we'd failed one day yes. while chancing our luck in India, it would have ruined the whole year. We thought, do we say yes or no? But anyway, they asked us. And we went to Manali uh, in the Himalayas. Yeah, I've been there, actually, Manali, really? yeah. Did you ever ski there? No. <laughs> well, there's heli-skiing there, which is yeah. the, probably the best heli-skiing yeah. in the world, which I've yeah. done since the trip. I've done the two or three trips there. Uh, but Manali was a bit of a... Um, we just about managed... Because the thing is, there were no ski resorts open. We, we discovered when we got there. So what we did, we got a special government permit, and we drove with uh, help from the local, I don't know tourist office yep. up the pass and then we skied down all kinds of weird it wasn't a ski resort at all we were skiing down it wasn't that dangerous but it was it was sort of loose snow ice rivers and and then of course then we went when we skied down we had to try and find our driver again. <laughs> i've got some pictures at home of getting into the area great big cliffs and walls of ice and you think god what are you doing there you know? <laughs> Uh, it seemed like it might have been a mistake, but we managed to ski every day. But we skied so little in India that we ended up owing the total, if you like, another 30 or 40 miles. I see, miles and you had to catch had up. To make up, yeah. And, and that, 
that actually brings me back to another question because you know these days lots of people they you know they measure what they're doing on the mountain they share it all because they're using um uh, different devices and ski tracker and this and that but there was no internet you know at the time that you were doing it was certainly very rudimentary so how did you actually measure how far you were skiing ah, we had devices uh, i've got one at home actually i've kept <laughs> We had little devices that you fit on the back of the skis. Yeah. And after we had used them for maybe a month, we were able to translate. Now, how did we work it up from there? We were able to remove the devices and pretty much guess. But they were they were kind of, you know, as you ski long, they, they ticked over and measured yes. the uh, yes. distance. And what about altitude? How did you, you know, work out or estimate what kind of altitude you were doing? I don't think it mattered, really. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't part of it. You had no, to. You no. told your uh, editor you're going to do ten miles a day. Yes, but we also measured how long uh, ski lifts were. So we never counted going up. We yeah. always counted how long the ski of course. lifts were. And right. We, we did work out a formula, and I promise you we did. <laughs> now that makes sense. Um, did you ever have to cross the international date line? Did that confuse yes. things? Did that give you an extra day or no, one it, less it day? Robbed us of a day. Right. And I know people have said. Well, you didn't ski every day of the year, but we had one day, August 22nd, which didn't happen, except for, I think, four hours of it happened. Uh, that was going from um, west to east back to Europe. So what we did to justify that we skied every day was those two or three days which surrounded the one day that didn't happen, we skied every 24 hours. So if someone said to us, well, you didn't ski that day, I said, well, we skied every 24 hours. So that kind of counted, you know. Yeah, and if that day doesn't exist well, for you, you then... The trouble is, it, it did exist for four hours. I see. So, I see, okay. But we were in the air at the time. Yeah, well, I don't think that counts, uh, personally. Good. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned as well that, um, you know, you travelled uh, with your partner at the time, uh, Lucy uh, Dicker. And, you know, you obviously spent every day together, you know, I'm happily married, but I think every day, the whole day, would be quite uh, tricky with my wife. We had a few arguments, and some there were occasionally days when we skied separately because we'd had a row. So I'd be doing that run and she'd be doing that run. But, you know, we still... We never really fell out badly. So you referred to Clint Eastwood. He wrote the foreword in the the book, and I think you met him quite early on in the Ski the World year, didn't you? We were in Sun Valley... Uh, it was early. If I had my diary, I could tell you which day it was. <laughs> and it, we just happened to... I mean, honestly, it was just luck. We were sitting like we are here at the table, and he was at the next table. <laughs> and I'd actually said, wouldn't it be fun if we met Clint? And there he was. <laughs> so we moved... He seemed to be quite welcoming. Uh, we said what we were doing. And we moved across to his table and had lunch with him. And Brilliant. He, he was very nice. Excellent. And he's a skier, I take it. It was obviously yes, the winter. Yes, didn't, didn't ski with him, but right. he is a skier, yeah. Yeah, yeah excellent. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to Sun Valley uh, this summer, oh, and I think Arnie's got a, Arnold Schwarzenegger has got a place there as well, hasn't he? Funny story. When he was governor of California, <coughs> yes. he was, without thinking about it, asked what his favourite ski resort was. Oh, yeah. And he said, well, I, I love Idaho. He yeah. got, got told off. Because, because he was governor of California at the said time. California, right? So yeah. I told off for that. That's quite funny. Yeah. Well, I know he's got a place a, a, over there. And how did you meet Arnie? And was that during oh, the Ski that, the World? That was very self-indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that was much later. When okay. I was, when I was married to Viviane. Yep. We were again in Sun Valley, and in a lift line. And I saw him in the lift line. And huh? I thought, oh dear, this is going to be. Yeah, he'd be easy to spot, I would imagine. Uh, yes. So at the top of the lift, I said to him, 
Mr. Schwarzenegger, uh, I write for the Financial Times, could I interview you? And he said, no, I'm too busy skiing. Fair enough, yeah. I said, okay. But he said, but you can ski with me if you like. <laughs> How so cool. we skied together. How cool. And I did the interview. And it wasn't a bad interview, and the FT did use it. Yeah. But what they, what he didn't tell me, the rascal, was he was having major open heart surgery the next day, and he didn't tell me that. So. So the scoop, you didn't manage didn't the, get scoop. the scoop. Right. Okay. But at least I got an interview. What was he like as a skier? He was a good skier. I mean, as you know, born in Austria, uh, skied nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Robert Redford, uh, you met as well, not during that year, but no, later on. No, much later. We, Vivian and I, my wife, having got married in Jackson Hole, of course, we were in. I'm trying to remember the name of his resort now. Uh, Sundance. But anyway, because I didn't want to be predictably interfering, we were told by the by the area manager that he wasn't around today. Because I said, "Is Mr. Redford around?" And then he turned up at lunchtime, and he he sat as close as you are to me now. And I, was, I restrained myself, so we didn't really interview him, but we did look at each other and smile and everything else. But um, I would like to have done that because I've always been a, a great fan of his. So it's the, probably the only time I've ever been in the company of somebody famous, and I have resisted the temptation. <laughs> as, a, as a journalist, you'd all be, always be looking for that story, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I think probably helped with your early career, having met you know, some incredibly famous uh, mm. people, mm. to be able to have the presence of mind to deal with them. Because I think that um, you know, in the few occasions when I've been around you know, particularly famous people, it's very hard not to get overexcited about uh, Yeah, about I suppose it. I was a bit sort of used to because I, mean, I spent 10 years in Fleet Street interviewing celebrities. I met Jimmy Carter on the ski slopes. Gave him, I gave him an early copy of one of my books. Um, I suppose I got, I didn't get blase, but I got less worried about butting in and talking to famous people. And I think the guy that taught me that was probably Spike Milligan because I remember oh, yeah. I got to know Spike and yep. I knew him for 20 years. I knew all the goons. My, my mistake with Spike initially, which taught me a lot, he rang me one day as a result of something or other I'd said, and I was fawning over him. I right. Like, oh, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> and I realised that when I treated him normally and had a joke with him, he was much more relaxed. And that taught me that when you interview celebrities, just relax, talk to them, don't, don't treat them like royalty. You know? Yeah. So that was a big lesson I learned from Spike. And I went on for 20 years as a sort of friend of Spike's. And I wrote lots of stories about him. Excellent. I'll remember that tip the next time I uh, I come across Eric Cantona or, or one of my oh, yeah, heroes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> who yeah. I did meet uh, in Teen one time. But that's another story. And so after that, you know, round the world in the Financial Times, you did then uh, end up being editor of the Ski Club of Great Britain's magazine, didn't yeah, you? How did that yeah. one come about? Well, that was because I was wearing thin at the Financial Times. There were new people in charge of me. They wanted to change. I wasn't exactly. I wasn't fired at all, but. I was finding it less pleasurable to work for the FT yep. because of the management. Uh, there was the, the editor and the weekend the weekend editor and his deputy were no longer doing that job, and so I was dealing with new people. And at the same time, by sheer chance, uh, I got this call from Caroline Stewart Taylor, who I'd skied with in Georgia many years earlier, and she said, "Did I want to be considered for editing Ski and Board magazine?" Excellent. So I did the interview. And she's at the time, she was she the was CEO, yeah, yeah, CEO of the Ski Club exactly, of Great Britain. Exactly. 
And so that was the beginning of, I think I edited 50, more than 50 issues. I love doing it. I love coming up with headlines. That's a lot, with only four or five yeah, a year. Four a year. Yeah. Four a year. Yeah. I was there until 2013. In the glory days of the ski club, some people might say. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> and how long were you at the ski club then, did you say? Uh, 12 years. 12 years, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then you've been freelance uh, since then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and are you planning to, uh, what, what's the 740th uh, ski resort oh, that you're planning well, to add onto your list? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to make it. Um, I'm not really bothered. I, I mean, it must be hard to find new ones when you've been to so many well, already. I always say that if I were younger and I'd, I wasn't married, I'd go to Austria and I'd lived there for a whole winter. Right. You know, they've got, as you know, they've got loads of small little areas yeah. with two little lifts. Yeah. So you, you could actually knock up another 30 or 40 quite yeah. easily. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you go to everywhere in the Alps, there's so many like that, where they have mm. one or two mm. uh, kind of community-run uh, lifts. Uh, and, yeah, I suppose you could easily... Uh, uh, well, I say easily. I mean, 739... Uh, in it says here 14 countries. I don't know, you know, how that's a, that's a lot of ski resorts. Well, okay, here's another question then Could you possibly pick, you know, a favorite out of all yeah, of those? Easy, and easy. oh, all well, right, Jackson okay, Hole, Jackson Hole, right? You did get yeah. married there, he said yeah. to me earlier. Yeah. I love the place for all kinds of reasons. Great skiing. If you want tough skiing, uh, off, I love off piste, Corbett's cool while you. If ever you write about it, make sure you spell it with only one T. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, that is such a terrific run. And there are other other great ski areas, other great ski runs. The mountains are beautiful. There's yeah. wildlife, terrific wildlife. Um, combination, it's remote and beautiful. And Telluride is my second favourite. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't, no. You need to go there. It's yeah, it's like a Wild West kind of town, it isn't is. it? It yeah. is. There's a mining town up from the town, quite high up, and there was a lot of, lot of Swedish miners used to yeah. work there. When I had finished skiing around the world, I realised I'd skied in something like, uh, what, 30 states in America? Yes. So I thought, well, why don't I ski the other states? Hmm. So I've got a friend, you might know him, called Bernie Weichel in America. He and I deliberately skied in all the states that I hadn't skied during the around the world trip. So we ended up skiing in strange places that you wouldn't think you could ski in so i now can now, can now uh, i can now say i've skied in all 38 states which have ski lifts or a ski lift down in america i kind of imagine are there like dry slopes or uh, no, anything like that in the that. in those ones that don't have anything i know there's sort of a bit no of idea. skiing everywhere but that's pretty good 38 uh, ski states well 739 resorts i'm sure there will be other ones that you'll add to that list really interesting to hear that you know jackson hole you know comes out on top and you know very fascinating to uh, to talk to you as always uh, arnie it's been a pleasure thank you very much for your time today no thank you I'd really like to thank Arnie for sharing his time to talk to me. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to his story as much as I did. Uh, don't forget we have 146 episodes of the uh, Ski Podcast currently to listen to, uh, available wherever you download your podcasts. Hi there listener, this is Ian here and this is a request for your feedback all about the Ski Podcast. I'd like you to tell us what you like, what you 
don't like about the podcast it's very easy and simple to let me know just go along to uh, bit.ly that's bit.ly forward slash the ski podcast survey uh, it'll take you a couple of minutes to uh, complete the form at the very most and you could win some prizes i've got some uh, goggles very kindly donated by atomic and i've got some other freebies such as beanies from les des alpes and val d'azaire and uh, visit to roll uh, and lots of other bits and pieces that I'm going to give out in a random draw for everybody who completes the survey. So if you could complete the survey, that's great. Remember, the address again is bit.ly forward slash the ski podcast survey. And if you're not too sure about that, just have a look at us on social media and you'll be able to see a link to it there. Thanks very much. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say about the show.